This is Mike Roth. Welcome to the Open Forum in the Villages podcast. In this show, we're going to talk to leaders in the community, leaders of clubs, and interesting folks who live here in the villages to give perspective of what's happening here in the villages and information that I think all villagers should have. We hope to add a new episode every Friday morning at 9 o'clock. This is Mike Roth on Open Forum of the Villages. Today I'm here with John Shuchuk. John is a professional, or has been a professional weatherman. And in today's show, we're going to be talking about the villages in 2007, Groundhog Day, when the villages was hit by at least one tornado. John, thanks for joining us here today. You're welcome. Hopefully, we'll never see another tornado in the villages. What do you think that possibility is? We don't know. Um, they come and go, but uh, 2007 was the last time we were hit. And hopefully, that's the last time, but there's still a probability we can be hit again. And hopefully, it's far in the future. Mm-hmm. Where in the villages did the tornado hit on February 2nd, 2007? Well, it landed. First, first it hit on Bailey Trail, and mm-hmm. then it went through Poinciana, through Eagle Preserve. It crossed Buena Vista Boulevard, mm-hmm. and it went through Sanibel, and then it crossed Morris Boulevard, still heading east. Mm-hmm. It did a lot of damage in Mallory Square, and it hit Caroline as it exited the villages and moved into Lake County, where it caused a lot more damage. How wide was the path? The path was about a quarter mile, which is good. It was a relatively small tornado, which was good because that minimized damage. It also moved at about 55 miles per hour. It was fast moving, which was another advantage because that also helped to minimize damage. And it took about 10 seconds to pass over any one point, Mm -hmm. which is good, relatively speaking. Yeah, but a quarter of a mile to me is here in the villages where the homes are packed, probably three per quarter mile. That's pretty serious. Yes, and that's why it, even though it was a, a short 10 or 5 minutes going through the villages, it damaged 1,300 homes. Some of them were completely demolished, but about 1,300 homes were damaged in some way. Mm-hmm. Since 2007, the newer built homes are built with a different building code. Do you think the new building code materially protects the homes from things like tornadoes or hurricanes? I'm not sure if they made any code changes based on this tornado. I know people did come and study it. There are a couple of universities that did studies. I do know they have stricter standards in southern Florida, especially for the hurricanes. But the greatest damage we had here from the tornado, the structural damage, that surprised me and a lot of people were the roofs. Because once the garage doors were blown in, there was high pressure from the winds of the tornado. And then the suction from the tornado above actually lifted many roofs right off the uh, the walls of the, the homes. And hoping that they took uh, good note of that and hopefully changed the standards to reinforce of how roofs are attached to the walls of the homes. Mm-hmm. Were any homes lifted off of the slabs? No, not that I know of. I've read the reports from the universities that did the studies, and no, their homes were demolished or blown, blown in or blown sideways, but none were lifted up. 
Mm -hmm. So the storms on February 2nd, 2007, in the villages produced how many deaths? In the villages, there were no deaths. There Mm -hmm. were many injuries. There were several deaths east of the villages because when it went through the trailer courts in Lake Lake County Mm -hmm. and other counties, that's where the deaths occurred. Mm-hmm. There were 21 deaths uh, altogether in the tornadoes that hit on Groundhog Day. And what do you attribute that to? That there were no deaths here in the villages, but there were deaths in Lake County and other areas? That's a good question. Many people were surprised, but there were a lot of injuries, like I said. The homes. There were no trailers in the villages, number one. There were well-constructed homes. The wood frame homes had the most damage. Mm-hmm. The cement block homes did fared well. And like I said, there were a lot of injuries, but no deaths, which was good, um, which was very good. Lucky, maybe, but uh, it was good for the villages. Mm-hmm. How are you could compare or contrast the damages that can happen to homes from tornadoes or hurricanes? The tornado is very quick. Like I said, it only took 10 seconds for the tornado to go over any one spot. A hurricane could last a good hour or so. Mm -hmm. And if you go through the eye, you have strong winds from one side, then there's calm, and then there's strong winds from the other side. So overall, the hurricane can be much more destructive. But if you have a direct hit from a tornado, you can have the same amount of destruction. So it's the timing is the difference. The short time for a tornado and a long period of winds for hurricane. Okay. Uh, I've heard people say that here in central Florida, especially the villages, we're in the middle of Tornado Alley. Is that true? I never heard that. Florida is number three in tornadoes. There's, but you have to understand most of the tornadoes are weak, category zero, one, or two. And many of those are water spouts. That come in from the ocean and then transform into tornadoes. What's the difference between EF0, EF1, all the way up to EF5 in tornadoes? It's the wind speeds involved with them, the maximum winds. I don't have that scale with me right now. Is that the same as hurricanes? It's similar, but a little bit different. The adjustments are different. But yes, it's a matter of wind speeds. Mm -hmm. So in your opinion, what what wind speeds are the most of the newer construction in the villages uh, capable of withstanding? Well, that's a good question. I've been accused of that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was 155 mile an hour wind speeds are were produced with this tornado, which caused the, the massive destruction of the, the uh, structures. Well, that's um, going to blow out the windows, isn't it? Yes, that was the most common form of destruction in the homes in the villages and anywhere in tornadoes. The glass was blown in, and that's where the most of the injuries come from. People would stand. They thought they were hearing hail and strong winds, but it was actually gravel and debris hitting mm-hmm. the windows. The last thing you want to do if you think there's a, hurric- a tornado out there is stand near a window because most of the injuries were from people standing next to the windows and being hit by broken glass as it blew in. So if you... It- how are we warned here in the villages that a tornado is uh, approaching? We have no siren system like they do in the Midwest. Hmm. 
Um, the National Weather Service has radars in Tampa and Melbourne. That's our closest ones. Mm-hmm. Those are very close. No. The closer would be better, but they're put on the coast primarily to warn against and observe hurricanes. Okay. And we're relatively flat between Tampa and, right, right. and here. Right. What, what kind of signals will we get in the event of a hurricane approaching, say, from uh, Zephyr Hills? Or a tornado. Or a tornado, you know. Right. Well, the National Weather Service, when they put out, when they see it on their Doppler radar, Mm -hmm. the sea spinning, they push a button and a warning automatically goes out over the emergency broadcast system. Mm -hmm. And if you have a weather radio or some other device that receives severe weather warnings from the National Weather Service, you'll get an instant notification. Well, that that go out to the uh, cell phones, like from the sheriff's department. That they have these amber alerts to come up, and whatever you're doing, you hear this amber alert signal on your cell phone. I don't know how that works, but I personally, I have a weather radio that receives alerts directly from National Weather Service through the airways. It doesn't go through any cell towers or whatever. There are several apps on cell phones. I don't have any active right now, but they have services where you can download an app, and it'll tap into the National Weather Service alert system. And I don't think that's through the uh, the police stations or for the sheriff's for, for the sheriff's excuse. Mm-hmm. What does the uh, weather band alert sound like? Can you play that back for us? Yes, this is the most direct way to get information from the National Weather Service is through a weather radio. It has an antenna on it to receive a signal. You can do this from anywhere in the United States and Canada. Is it, it an battery? FM? Is it an FM or AM? That I'm not sure. It has an antenna. Mm. Um, as battery backup, mm-hmm. but here's what the emergency sound sounds like. I'm going to go through the menu and get to it. And this is what it sounds like. Well, good. That's pretty irritating. That yeah. might wake you up. It's a good idea to have it so you can hear it from your bedroom, and if not in your bedroom, it's the best place. Now, will that Rick? Wait. Will that? Will that weather band radio work in homes that have a radiant barrier roof? They have aluminum foil underneath the That's shingle. a good question. I have never heard of that term before. Radiant barrier roof? Yeah. Many, Most of the new homes built here in the last five or six years mm-hmm. have this radiant barrier to keep the home cooler. Oh, I see. I know my radio antennas my AM and FM radios don't work very well here inside mm-hmm. uh, television, rabbit ears, no, oh, wow. no signal at all. Uh, okay, I learned something today. Um, yeah. I have not heard of any problems with this radio. Okay. But you're not sure. But I'm not sure, no. Okay. Well, you have to test it in a, in a radiant barrier place. What was the worst uh, tornado that we've ever seen here in uh, Central Florida. Okay, well, the second worst was the Groundhog Day tornado we mm-hmm. were talking about in 2007. The worst one was also in February, and that was in 1998. That was a total of seven separate tornadoes that went through the Orlando area. Seven. And, mm-hmm. and because it went through a higher population area with a variety of home structures, everything from buildings, concrete buildings to trailers, 
There were 42 deaths. Mm -hmm. So I, I was trying to get back to that. If you're in a, ho a village home, what is the best room to be in? That's a good question. And uh, Obviously, we don't want anyone standing next to windows. No. When I give talks about this tornado and I go over those rules uh, every time, the best thing to do to avoid is a room with windows because mm -hmm. that's where the most injuries occur. When the windows implode, flying glass goes all over the place. Avoid a window at all costs. The second thing you want to do is avoid an exterior wall, especially for a wood frame home because several of the walls on wood frame homes were actually torn off the building. Mm -hmm. What about the uh, cinder block walls? None failed, and only they... impacted. So if you have to pick a wall that's exterior and you're in a cinder block home, you're safer. The newest homes have tilt-up concrete walls. What do you think of those? I heard about those. They have to be even stronger than the cinder block, I would think, especially if they have rebar in them. I heard they have rebar in them also. I haven't watched the construction. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out if you ever get hit by a tornado. That seems like a little bit late. So interior rooms are the best places to be. Actually, absolutely. Interior, no, no exterior windows. walls, and no windows. Right. Okay. That's the safest place. How much warning do you think we would get here in the villages from either a weather band radio or a cell phone alert like the Amber Alerts? Mm -hmm. What do we get? Well, the warnings are produced through observers. If they actually see the tornado, they can report it, but that's rare. Most of the warnings come from the weather Doppler radars. The average warning statistics from Doppler weather radars across the United States is eight minutes, which is the warning time we had for the Groundhog Day tornado here in the villages. That should seem to be enough time for most people to get right. into but, that safe room. But this tornado hit at three in the morning. Everybody was asleep except for the few that had a weather radio or some other alerting device who were up late at night watching the weather channel. And there were a few, but mm -hmm. the vast majority were sound asleep. The tornado went through, ripped off their roof, and they never knew about it until 10 seconds later when they woke up and said, what was that noise? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they were, most of them were asleep. They never knew it. Mm -hmm. what, what are the best lessons learned that, that, that came out of that 2007 tornado? Well, the best lesson was to have a warning device because most people never knew that it came. So they obviously didn't have a weather radio or learning device. That's number one. Number two was a flashlight. Even though we never lost power, the individual homes that were impacted lost individual power to the structures. So they didn't have any light. And a lot of them got out of bed in their bare feet. And guess what they stepped on? Broken glass. glass. Mm -hmm. Even when they put the foot into their slippers, into broken glass. glass. That's why it was the most common injury all over. So if you have to need to have a flashlight handy when you go to bed, it's a good idea to have one handy at all times. And the next thing that they learned was they were missing important things like medications, keys, phones, wallets, and glasses. And in the dark, without a flashlight, those are the things you need almost immediately to try and get your life back together. So, so how did one do that? Put all that important stuff in a drawer, in, in a uh, dresser. Yeah. I recommend you have a little go pack. Mm -hmm. You put them in there and put in a dresser or maybe under the bed and have it ready. It, it seems like maybe a lot of extra work, but it could help save you a lot of uncomfortable situations and hopefully your, and even your life eventually. Yeah. Those things are very important. And last uh, thing I wanted to mention 
is make sure you identify a safe room. Most people don't even do that, but you need to think ahead where you can have your safe room and you want to have pre-positioned there some blankets, even a helmet and gloves because they can all come in handy during a tornado. Why a helmet? Things were flying around all the time. There were a lot of head injuries from flying debris. First, there's the broken glass, but there's a lot of flying debris, a lot of head injuries. That so if you're, if, even if you're in your safe room, so to speak, you could still experience flying debris? Yes, yes. My wife and I have uh, bicycle helmets. They're not the best. A football helmet or something even is better. Motorcycle helmet? Yeah, anything to help if something falls on you. Because when the roofs are lifted off, a lot of other debris, two-by-fours or whatever, can fall back down into the home and hit you. Okay, so there's, there's, there's good reason to have a helmet of some kind. Right. And gloves, uh, you, you said, uh, for Free, freeing yourself. For freeing yourself, picking things up, or maneuvering, helping people, whatever, because you never know what you're going to be touching or handling uh, during a destructive event. Has anyone uh, ever been uh, picked up and, and, and lifted up by a tornado? Yes, there's one in the, uh, there is a book out there called 10 Seconds Inside a Tornado, which has uh, 70 different little vignettes of people that were affected by this tornado. And one I found particularly interesting was by a person called Paul Massenkeel, who was actually lifted. And this is what he had to say. In a world ruin in my bedroom, I am picked up. It's a floating sensation. I can't get my feet on the floor. I drift quickly across the bedroom. Stuff feels wet and cold. Rocks, mud, glass hit me in the back. I'm sent into the bathroom floating, as if I'm in a narrow current stream. The winds picked him up, and they he floated into his bathroom, and he was headed toward the shower glass door, which opens outward. Mm-hmm. So he thought he was going to crash to that door, but luckily the tornado dropped him just before he came to that glass door. His roof had been blown off, and that's why the tornado had the ability to pick him up. How did the villagers react to a tornado going through here? Everybody was surprised and how fast they responded. It was actually amazing. They had uh, got many kudos for how they responded. They had all the streets cleared by sunrise. This tornado occurred at 3 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then they had all the debris picked up by that afternoon which was a massive effort because 1,300 homes got damaged in some way. Some of them were completely demolished. And then they told all the contractors to stop all work on new construction and bring all available tarps and other tools to help cover the roofs that had been destroyed or ripped off. And then finally, they ensured that all the displaced residents had accommodations by 5 p.m. that day, which Mm -hmm. is absolutely amazing. By the time the Red Cross and other services came, they said, there's nothing for us to do. They were just absolutely amazed on how well the village's management responded and how fast they responded. How, how long did it take for that rebuilding effort for the, these hundreds of homes that were damaged? A lot of them started immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not here for that, so I don't have the details on that. Most of them were, were, were rebuilt, of course, because there are no vacant lots anywhere. They were either refurbished could be reconstructed or, or built from scratch from the ground up. But I don't know how long that took. Mm-hmm. If someone wanted to buy one of these Midland-type radios, uh, where would they do it? Yeah, they can buy that at the common store, Walmart, Amazon, Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, those types of stores. 
And the last I checked, it was $30. It's the most, the, uh, uh, the Midland WR120 is the most popular brand because it's the most user-friendly. And it's the most popular in the United States and Canada. You know, I had one of those radios, not as new as yours, mm-hmm. for 20 years that I lived in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And we kept it in the master bedroom. And my wife made me turn it off because we, we were always getting false ports of tornado or hurricane. That still happened. Well, with weather, that's the negative side of the, the new Doppler weather radar. They can see turning inside the thunderstorm, but just because there's turning inside the thunderstorm, unless it comes down and touches the ground, it's not officially a tornado. Now, these Doppler radars see the turning, and when they see that, they automatically put out a warning just to be on the safe side. So there is an over-forecasting of storms because of that. Technology gives us the ability to see a tornado from a distance, but it also so we lets are us gonna... see, see things that it can't tell if it's on the ground yet or not. So we are still going to get false positives. So you get a lot of false positives, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where's a good place to get tornado safety checklists here in the villages? Okay, we uh, have a, um, a checklist uh different checklists available on the Weather Club website. And you can go to theweatherclubvillages.com. That's theweatherclubvillages.com. And there's a link on there for to download the uh, checklist. It's in a PDF form. Good. Thanks very much, John, for being on the open forum in the villages. And if anyone has any questions, they can come to a Weather Club meeting. Yes. What, when and where are they? They meet on the third Thursday of each month at 1.30. Right now we're in transition from, from Bridgeport to Laurel Manor. And if you go to the website, it'll tell you who's speaking on what subject and which location it is. Next year, they will all be at Laurel Manor. How many people typically turn up at a weather club meeting? Well, we have about 150 on the list. And depending on the subject, it can be anywhere from 30 to about 100. Great. Thanks for being a guest today, John. You're welcome. Good. Remember, our next episode will air live next Friday at 9 a.m., or should I say pre-recorded, but that's when it will be released on our regular subscriptions. Bonus subscribers can get early access to episodes. Should you want to become a sponsor of the show, contact me at MikeRoth at RothVoice.com. If you know someone that you think should be on the show, send me an email at Mike at RothVoice.com. I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. The content of the show is copyright by RothVoice 2022, all rights reserved.